also don't care about feminism. Your favorite show is Entourage. To be honest, when I found out that patriarchy wasn't about horses, I lost interest anyway. I wonder if I know what you mean. I wonder if you wonder. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I am your host today, Drea Clark. If Iwadiwe is not here, he will be back. We don't know where he is. We never know where he is. No, That's how he likes to live his life. Exactly. However, uh, we have a great show for you. And the reason we know it's great is because my sweet buddy with the best hair in the game is here. He is also an incredible critic and a writer. And just an all-around snazzy dude, Alonzo Giraldi. What's good? Oh, Drea, I, I can't live up to that intro, but thank you. Um, so we're recording this on the day after Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, for the first time in many years, I made a Rotel dip just for my own enjoyment. I didn't watch the game, but I figured I wanted to yes. have the, the appropriate tie-in snacks all the same. And oh my God, it's good. And so, you know, I, I know it's completely made of chemicals, but I don't care. And uh, I just, I think this is a thing that people should just have in the pantry because you never know when mystery guests are going to just show up. It's the easiest thing in the world. You melt the Velveeta, you throw in a can of Rotel dip, you heat it up until it's bubbling, you slap it on the table with some tortilla chips, and bam, bam, you're in business. If you want to get fancy, you can grill some some ground beef. I did some chorizo, which was quite nice. But really, it's just like, it's so easy and it's so shelf-stable that you should just have it lying around in case people show up. And, and then that way you just look like this amazing host who had this thing up your sleeve, you know, you've got hot dish ready to go. So anyway, Rotel and Velveeta, it's, I, I know everybody knows about it, but not everybody knows about it. So there we go. I love that. I like my partners, like I like my dips, easy and shelf stable. <laughs> so that music's my ears. I also can't tell you how much I enjoy the idea of you being like, you know what? It's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm going to make a dip. <laughs> don't talk to me about the game but i will get in on dip culture i have my priorities <laughs> okay i love that um okay joining us today as you know if you listen this is the home of special guests mm -hmm. and uh this special guest includes a small and very recent anecdote in my life in that i spent super bowl sunday going to see the motion picture that we are discussing today and i was at a screening with my friend there were only two other people in the audience projection broke down like two or three times oh. for 10 minutes each it was absolutely ridiculous but fun fact because it's small town la who was sitting behind me but today's guest <laughs> it's true it's what true a thrill it was me, Janet Varney, and I had... I was going to say, introduce, introduce her, maybe? Well. <laughs> you'll know her by that voice, because you'll hear it in your dreams and in the favorite things you listen to. She's an incredible actor. She also hosts the JV Club podcast right here on Maximum Fun. Janet Varney, Woo! also my accidental date to the movies. It's Half. true. Half of a movie. It's a true. A quarter of a movie. I was so excited that I burst in and, and during your introduction. I couldn't even <laughs> stand you finishing... <laughs> Because, and that's what I did, that's the exact reaction I had yeah. when I realized it was you at the movie theater. I couldn't have sounded more like a teenage girl at a party. Like, I'm re looking back now, I'm realizing it was the exact right reaction for that movie because I was it like, was. oh my God, Drea? Oh my God, what are you about to do? It was during the first party scene. It yeah, was. and again, it was like a... No one else was at the movies yesterday. No. They were enjoying dips. Empty. We were at the movies, and so we're sitting there, and I'm already like, this is already ridiculous. There's only yeah. four people here. They can't get this screening going. And then I hear a, 
Drea? And I was like, <laughs> man, you cannot cloud my voice. I'm so loud. Like, the amount of times in my life I've had people be like, I heard you from the other room. No, no, that does not apply time. here. That does not apply here because the only reason I could hear you is all the aforementioned reasons. It was a small theater. Yeah. No one else was there. And there was no movie only... was showing. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. There was no and way I couldn't. I, w- I would have heard anyone. I would have heard anyone at a whisper. Fair. I would have heard anyone. That's fair. Alonzo, if you're wondering, did they ever finish the movie? They did not. We all had to leave. We had to leave. We ended what? up at different theaters. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. It was That's ridiculous. That's insane. But hey, Jana, other while than, we're here. Yeah, I was going to say, other than our ridiculous uh, recent movie outing, what's good with you? You know, I got to piggyback right on. I wasn't necessarily going to go with food, Alonzo. You have inspired me because just hearing you talk about your dip made me realize, number one, I don't think I've ever used the term shelf stable for anything in my life. So I got to start using that. Is that the same as non-perishable? No, it's it's not the yeah, same. Basically, like, okay. you, don't, you don't have to shelf refrigerate stable. it. You know? Shelf stable. I love it. Um, I just got back from Sketchfest, the comedy festival that I founded and produced in San Francisco. And what I brought back with me were some mochi muffins that uh, are available from a little bakery on the in the East Bay. They also have a little uh, augment, like they have a little auxiliary bakery, rather, in San Francisco. I don't know what's happening with these muffins to be honest with you i don't even know why they're called mochi muffins it's uh, because they're they are muffins and they're not mochi ice cream but they are (laughs) so good and i have been dragging out eating them and i finally ate the last of the last one today and i've been back a week so it was like little nibbles all through the week delicious third culture bakery third culture bakery I don't know what yeah. you're doing. I couldn't even tell. Don't ask me what the flavors are. I don't know. There were some sesame seeds sprinkled on one of them. One of them sort of had like a chocolatey something, but it was purple. I don't even. It, there was just something magical happening. It's something magical happening in those in those mochi muffins. I love it. I love here, here for all of it. Drea, what's good? Okay, you guys, I'm going to join. It was not going to be my what's good, but now I can't. I can't put out a food stuff. Um, I wish I had a dip because I dip. You dip. We dip. <laughs> However, what I have is I absolutely skipped the game, but I did stop by a friend's Super Bowl party after my five hours of trying to watch one movie. And um, and someone had brought chocolate dipped Twinkies. Um. And the chocolate was like cold, like it was a hard, like a thicker chocolate shell. It wasn't like, ooh, a thin candy coated. It was like a like proper. A crackly. It was yeah. so good. It was probably Oof. shelf stable. It is very <laughs> lucky that I don't cook in any way because I do not need to learn how to make a chocolate dipped <laughs> Twinkie. I liked it much too much. That said, like if you get access to a state fair style dessert, you you take it. You take it. You, you take it. it. Look, yeah. the only reason I, I made the Rotel dip for Super Bowl Sunday is because I think of it as a once a year treat. There so, you, go. you know, if I might as well paint it to the Super Bowl as anything else. Do know. it. All right. Um, I was going to say, speaking of once a year treats, who knows? Maybe maybe we talk about this movie four times a year. I don't know what's coming. <laughs> but uh, it'll be a treat anyway. We are going to discuss Lisa Frankenstein and then we're going to pitch some monster mashup movies of our very own but first it is time for it a dick which is our movie news segment where we will go through some recent movie related news items and ask is this important and do i care alonzo kick us off 
Just when you thought the Oscars news was all going to be about snubs and odds about who's going to win, the Academy snuck in with a nice little surprise. They announced last week that a best casting category will be added to the award ceremony. No, not for this March, but uh, this new category will make its debut during the 98th Academy Awards, which will air in 2026. Category rules for eligibility and voting will be announced in April of 2025. Is this important? Do you care? Yeah, we care. We love this one. Casting and stunts are are two areas that for years people have been pushing. Um, And it was always like, we're... The show's too long. Right. We're raised (laughs) cynics here. No part of me thought I would see it. Um, If you're very interested in in learning more about casting, I would recommend checking out Casting By. Uh, I think Tom Donahue made that. We showed that at LA Film Fest. Um, I'll say, I'll give you one tweak of when this does happen. And then there's, of course, going to be some kinds of dissent because everybody can't like everything, which is the smallest element of... When you're making, well, almost any movie, but oftentimes the producers sign on the leads because that's how you get money and backing sure. and green lighting. And so then I'm like, oh, cool. Can't wait to uh, like unthread those needles of the people who will get like twitchy about casting nods when they're like, I-, I signed the leads on. Like there's four people in this movie. It's up for casting. And I did two of them and I'm not the casting director. Anyway, I do not begrudge casting directors. Thrilled for them. We recognize them in our Altman Award at the Spirit Awards. But yes, do you like? I'm like, oh, I may be cynical, and you'll see it in action. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's, it's it's long overdue, and and yeah, the Spirits got there first. They've been doing the Altman Award for years, uh, which honors you know the ensemble and the director of the film and the casting director. And so, yeah, I, I'm sure wading through the paperwork and the who did what to whom how and is you know gets to go on stage and has their name on the thing is you know the it, now it's not just the producers that get to fight about this every year now the casting directors can get in on it too. But uh, again, I think it is one of those things where, you know, being part of the show, um, you know, of the Oscar telecast really kind of teaches people how this works. You know, I think they think that, you know, like the the folks just show up uh, or, you know, whatever. I, I think, I think, you know, People have a greater understanding of what editing is or what sound effects mm. or whatever it is because, you know, there's a there's always that handy montage in the award show that shows you, well, here's what it looks like if you didn't do that, you know. So, uh, yeah, if this means more people will now understand what casting is and why it's so very important to how films get made, you know, hurrah. Yeah, I do think it's great. And I, I had the exact same thought. The second I read it, Drea, I thought the exact same thing that you did. For sure, it's a, it feels a little complicated on uh, some films. I also feel like, you know, when I first moved here, it became very clear to me very quickly that casting directors work so, so hard for oftentimes those very producers who are making it really hard to make a good movie for mm-hmm. any number of reasons. And... They are very unsung. I mean, I feel like they're just very unsung and they work crazy hours. And, you know, those casting directors that I would see over and over again, I would be like, but you just finished something. How did you get any time between? And they're like, no, you just take the job (laughs) as it comes up. And so I think this is this is lovely. I think what uh, the cynic in me and again, I feel like you said as much is like worried that. It's going to be one of those categories where 
because you do see this already with the Oscars, where the same freaking suit, like same white yeah. guy in a suit, keeps going up for all of these different categories for a movie because he was an executive producer on it. And then, you know, the casting department is sort of in the background, like not talking because... Maybe they did make a ton of great suggestions, but at the end of the day, that person puppeteered everything not in a good way. You know what I mean? Like there yeah, is, yeah. there are politics oh, involved. Oh yeah, don't even get me started on the me. other the other part of it, which is, uh, don't nominate me for this. I hate half our cast. I got stuck with them because some exec producer financier made me yeah. put in his like girlfriend. Yeah. It'll also be interesting to see if it's one of those categories where, like, you know, movies that didn't get considered in other areas were like, well, yeah, the script was terrible and I didn't like how they directed it, but the casting was spot on. Oh, could be. Or maybe, you know what, on a positive note, maybe what we'll see very quickly is that it is kind of taking a page from the Altmans, where, like, there is a sense of, no, this isn't a four-person movie. The reason that these films have been nominated is that it's a huge cast, it's phenomenal, there's a bunch of great characters work happening in here there's a lot of like mining for gold in the hollywood business and somehow this wonderful thing came together you know what i mean like maybe it will it will actually honor what it should honor instead of the opportunities we're seeing for it to be a little (laughs) bit of like a wah wah perfect well um on that positive note let us discuss how the 2023 Sundance, which again is a full year ago, Sundance, <laughs> darling, Fancy Dance finally finds a home when Lily Gladstone won an award for Killers of the Flower Moon at the IndieWire Honors in December. She used the opportunity of her acceptance speech to highlight another film, Fancy Dance, directed by Erica Tremblay. The film sheds light on the treatment of modern day indigenous women. Gladstone's speech drew attention to the fact that Fancy Dance still did not have a distribution despite being roundly praised out of Sundance in 2023. Now the movie's found a home next to the Killers of the Flower Moon. It was purchased by Apple TV Plus and will get a theatrical run along with appearing on the streamer later this year. Is this important and do you care? Uh, I, I care. I mean, A, that I want to see this movie and I, I'm sure it's terrific. And I'm, and, and it, it's always glad. I'm always glad when sort of festival darlings finally do get picked up because certainly even in the history of Sundance, go back and look at some grand jury prize winners. You'd be like, what's that movie and whatever happened to it? Um, I also like the fact that Apple TV is stepping up at least partially because like they obviously want to stay in the Lily Gladstone business, which I'm very excited about. Like, so they, it, it is probably not a movie that they were necessarily you know, because if they'd really wanted it, they would have stepped up a year ago. But at this point, now that she's got the Oscar nomination, now that she's, you know, you know, becoming a, she's a real front runner and, and becoming more and more of a household name. It's like, you know what? Let's, let's keep this momentum going. We are invested in this performer, in this artist. And we want, you know, we want to help create, you know, whatever comes next for her. So, so good on them for that. Yes. I was going to agree with you again. It's I don't know why it's so easy to be cynical about stuff like this. I feel real bad. Um, You just I don't know. I mean, Lily, love it. Love it. Love it. Do it. You're doing exactly what you I don't want to say should, but what a great opportunity. And I love that when you I mean, it feels like an understanding of Hollywood to say, like, you know, if I say this out loud, there's a good chance someone will actually do something about it. But I'm. But there's always yeah. the, the back of the mind feeling of like I wish, I wish someone would have already done something about it. And you know, it just reminds me of like 
like Reservation Dogs is one of my favorite shows of all time. And mm. it's it always almost kind of gets recognized with rewards and then it just sort of doesn't. And so it's it's easy to get cynical about stuff that you feel like, you know, I, it, it's, you know what? You can decide it's cool. You don't have to wait for a different cool kid to tell yeah. you something's cool. <laughs> you have the power, Hollywood executives, to decide for yourself before someone who's hot at the moment, you know, does yeah. an amazing thing and, and lifts up that project. But like... It's okay for you to be the first person to decide Nobody that, wants that instead of clamoring Janet, on. Yeah. Are you crazy? Nobody wants to be. That's the job of the film programmer to be the first person so that everybody can tell them how terrible their taste is. That, um, that, that's like a friend of mine who says the, the genius of Madonna is that she's always the third person to do something. Listen, <laughs> that's yeah. 100%. Yes, I hear you. We can't always be first. Fancy Dance I'm thrilled about. Um, it's a solid film. It's also looking at it with Killers of the Flower Moon. It is about indigenous community and it's directed by uh, an indigenous director who went through the lab at Sundance, um, has been part of the indigenous program there. And it's nice to have that as a, as a sort of counterpart as well. Very thrilled for them. Uh, yeah. speaking, awesome. speaking of Sundance alums and Reservation Dogs, by the way, if you haven't watched Echo on Disney Plus yet, which mm. Sidney Freeland kind of you know was steering that ship, lots of reserva- Reservation Dogs players getting uh, roles on that show yeah. and collecting Marvel paychecks, which I'm very happy for. Take them about. that money! Yes, awesome. Go do the thing. Uh, all right, so finally, Crunchyroll has bought Funimation, and these are words that I am saying. And now all of the Funimation. <laughs> digital downloads will disappear. The app Funimation has been a big player in both streaming and digital purchases of anime titles in recent years. Now Funimation is being absorbed by Crunchyroll and with it any sense of ownership that Funimation users felt they had over their digital purchases. Adios, or I guess sayonara in this case. Uh, Yes, it's another one of these stories. Users were blindsided by the announcement that their digital purchases were disappearing, but there doesn't seem to be a thing they can do about it because it's in the tiny fine print of the thing that nobody ever actually reads. Uh, The only real uh, solution here, of course, I'm going to say it again, invest in physical media in the future, y'all. Is this important? Do you care? The phrasing we use in our chat, which we've mentioned before, is... It's time for Alonso to tap the sign. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm, sign. I'm I'm the guy going through the going through the streets with the big yeah, bell, going so Blu-rays, Blu-rays. It's so, it's so true. When you feel when when it until it happens to you, when you're like, oh, remember that movie I bought? I got to watch that again. I can't wait. And you go into your iTunes or wherever, and Whoop. you're like, huh? I but I I feel like I remember being told mm-hmm. I owned this. And is... it's hard. I'll say the, the one side of this is someone who is currently selling a film that so few things even offer to make a DVD anymore, let alone a Blu-ray or I'm 4K. Sure. So mm. we do so much of like, oh, and you will hear me in the future begging people to pre-order my film digitally because that's the only way that I can do it. And then maybe it'll get to like, if I sell enough of those, they might do a DVD print of it. But it's so right. And, and nobody reads the terms and conditions because they're approximately 180,000 words long. <laughs> And you don't know those things. And it's really, I would also feel blindsided and annoyed by that. 
And I wish I was cool enough to own things by Funimation. I know it's too bad that if he's not here because he definitely is an anime guy. And yeah, and then those two, those are the big dogs. Like those are the two big places where people were finding anime years and years and years ago. And, you know, you were speaking of being a cool kid who saw something first. People who were into Crunchyroll and or Funimation were the ones that were on the cutting edge of that, of those things coming to the United States in some form or other. So it is a big deal. And it's definitely a big deal to people who have been anime fans for a long time, because it probably means that they have amassed tons of stuff that's disappearing. It's not five movies. These people are probably losing like a hundred because there's endless anime. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, sure, there are anime dabblers out there, but I think a lot of people are taking the deep plunge here. I mean, and Crunchyroll, ironically enough, does actually make really beautiful physical media releases. Like, Mm. they put out these gorgeous box sets of shows I do not watch but nonetheless like they they are making the effort to like and there's booklets and there's art and there's a whole you know thing to it um but the idea that these two giant companies can merge and that the larger company can be like oh yeah sorry about all your digital stuff it's like surely there's some guy in IT who knows what to click and what to code so that people could keep that stuff but yeah. you know if they're not going to do it then yes it is unfortunately incumbent upon us all to own things in a physical way or we don't really own Exactly. All right. Well, on that bummer, let's take a break. (laughs) When we come back, we are feeling sparks with Lisa Frankenstein. Woo! My name's Doug Dugay, and I'm here to talk about my podcast in the middle of the one you're listening to. It's called Valley Heat, and it's about my neighborhood, the Burbank Rancho Equestrian District, the center of the world when it comes to foosball, frisbee golf, and high-speed freeway roller skating. And there's been a Jaguar parked outside on my curb for 10 months. I have no idea who owns it. I have a feeling it's related to the drug drop that was happening in my garbage can a little over a year ago. And if this has been a boring commercial, imagine 45 minutes of it. Okay, Valley Heat, it's on every month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Check it out, but honestly, skip it. These are the Chronicles of the Rancho Equestrian District in Burbank, Burbank, California. California. These are the events taking place in my house around my house. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I continue to be your host, Drea Clark, and in the studio with me are... Alonzo Duralde. And Janet Varney. Now, today's film is the feature debut of director Zelda Williams and was written by Diablo Cody. It's her first screenplay since 2018's Tully. It stars Catherine Newton, Liza Soberano, Cole Sprouse, and a serious amount of hairspray. I hope everyone caught that they even had rave hairspray in the on the set that's how you do a set dressing all right alonzo would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of old lisa frankenstein sure so Catherine newton stars as lisa swallows and somehow like uh 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 uh, gretchen wieners in mean girls no one in high school touches that one at all anyway uh lisa is forced to transfer to a new school in her senior year which sucks because when you know it her mom was brutally murdered by an axe-wielding serial killer, and her dad is remarried uh, to a very uptight psychiatric nurse uh, played by Carla Gugino. Uh, The nurse's daughter, Taffy, is a popular cheerleader, but despite uh, the stereotypes of popular cheerleaders in 80s teen movies, is actually very kind to Lisa and very welcoming, very glad to have her as a sister, does her best to sort of 
integrate her into high school life. But Lisa has no friends at this high school, so she winds up spending a lot of time in the somewhat distressed uh, cemetery in the neighborhood for bachelors, particularly becoming smitten with one marble statue of a uh, of a long departed musician. Well, wouldn't you know it? There's a big lightning storm, and who should get revived but said musician played by Cole Sprouse, whose character is never named in the movie. And um, he is uh, hot for Lisa. She is less into him because there's a, 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 a you know a intellectual uh, a Chad at her high school that she is uh, currently pursuing. But as uh, the reanimated corpse begins uh, killing off her enemies, um, she is uh, more attracted to him, and her hair gets bigger. And um, you know, how's it all going to turn out? Who can say? Check it out, Lisa Frankenstein. Solid work as ever. Nobody recaps like Alonzo. I'll add that, and I think you mentioned this, but this is clearly, like we said, positioned in the 80s, thus the big hair. But also our friend Clay Keller, who's been a guest before, tweeted something about how he hadn't understood the pun in the title until recently, and he was so embarrassed. And I was like, what? What pun? Yeah, I didn't get the Le- <laughs> I didn't get the Lisa Frank thing. It's just, it's it's more of like oh this will be an aesthetic nod, but no part of my brain was like oh yeah that makes I didn't think of it at all. When it, when I knew that it was a Diablo <laughs> Cody project, I immediately go oh okay I yeah I get That's it. Fair. I, I, <laughs> Why yeah. did we not get it? And because no. the person that I was with at the movie. Also a boy <laughs> was like, yeah, Lisa Frank, Lisa Frankenstein. Oh, and Dre and I were like, us. yeah, I we were like, he, he had a better trapper keeper. Do better yeah. girls. Yeah. But it's true that the, I don't, I do feel that e- even the aesthetic of Lisa Frank was some, I was sort of absent from this. So it's not yeah, like, yeah, it was, there's no, there's no sparkly uh, The opening credits weren't, you know, unicorns color and palette, hearts. Right, then yeah. an aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it gets increasingly dark, which is something to dig into. Um, one of, you know, Marissa very smartly put here as a, as a prompt to get us started, which I very much love knowing where this movie goes. And if you heard Alonzo mentioning axes and uh, bringing bodies back to life, it makes this even funnier. How closely did this resemble your respective high school experiences? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, well, Jan Alonzo. is the expert here, actually. Oh, boy. <laughs> I defer. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard a ton of stories from real people about their real lives mimicking this, but I will say that it, it I mean, I feel like it, you, if you know what it's doing or if you know what it's paying homage to, which is sort of difficult in this time and place not to know, um, it definitely calls all of that up. And it did very much take me back to my own high school years in that the movies I was watching then were very much the movie that this is, you know, paying homage to or spoofing or satirizing or however you want to look at it. Um, So in a weird way, it did take me sort of full circle, you know, be be the axe as it may. Um, (laughs) The absence of the axe in my real life, uh, I still felt like some good high school feels. What (laughs) about you, Alonzo? Well, it's funny because you know, for a while, I kept thinking that this is, and I've seen I've seen movies do this. It makes me crazy where they sort of treat the '80s as this sort of amorphous thing that all happened at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I was really I was really glad toward the end of the movie when somebody finally said out loud that it was 1989. Yeah, because I was like, all right, we know that Kokomo happened, and that was in 1988. You know, I'm like trying, I'm doing all these diagrams trying to figure out when are <laughs> we? You know. Um, 
I mean, my I graduated from high school in '84. Like, Sixteen Candles came out right before I graduated. So the the real what we think about when we think about '80s teen movies was still still yet to come. My high school, like the big movie, was still Porky's. You know, um, mm. so I, I definitely saw the DNA of you know Weird Science and Revenge of the Nerds and a lot of those films in this. Um, but as far as recognizing it, you know, towards my own thing not not so much (laughs) i had such an interesting like viewing experience with this as someone who loves a high school movie as well it's so much it tonally switched so much that at the beginning when i was like oh okay i get it this is going for a sort of heathers maybe even like a pump up the volume very heathers which are which are 80s 90s you know what i mean but it was like oh great it's sort of like dark and sardonic like we get michael trent which was very much like the christian slater like i'm getting all of these things and then i was like oh no but it, it also it really wants to be a Tim Burton film yeah. that mm-hmm. has seen a lot of John Waters. Yeah. Like, yep. There's, yep, there's yep, so yep. much going along that I don't think was necessarily successful. But, yeah. you know, this is a first-time filmmaker. And if I had seen this at a festival, I would have been so pumped. I would have been like, oh, man, new t- like directorial debut, female director, swinging for the fences, like, totally the did the shape of it fully work for me no but was i excited by that however the the fact that it's tied in it's a diablo cody film who is established who has a presence who has all this it made it like oh it's loses a little bit of that underdog yeah oh for sure Because like, there's some style Oscar, over substance. Oscar award-winning yeah. <laughs> writer behind it. And, um, and I think it's the yeah. kind of thing also where like there's there are so many things about it where you think, ah, on paper, yes. this seems like perfect. I mean, just the project in general, like the, 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 you pitch me this movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, this sounds great. I love all those things. But like even just when you break it down to individual moments, like there is a scene where the reanimated corpse – uh, does a trying clothes on montage, which yeah. is of course a staple of this yeah. era yes. of cinema. And I'm and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, funny idea. And then they execute it, and I'm like, not funny, you know. It, yeah. it doesn't ever really. It, it doesn't zing the way that it should. And so it's, there's a lot of moments along the way where I was like, oh, I could see where you write this down. And this is a cool idea, or you you pitch it, or whatever. And then they do it, and I, I don't know if this is Zelda Williams sort of getting her feet wet and not really knowing how to do this stuff. I don't know if it's Diablo Cody's script, not really. I mean, because I'll tell you, there are there are eighties references in here that fall like anvils. Hmm. <laughs> um, like just these passing references to like Pepsi free or the Chrysler LeBaron. And, you're so, and they're just, but they're, they're so you can feel the actors like learning these names phonetically. It, it, it's so awkward. And <laughs> so, yeah, I you don't say I don't, that. And yet <laughs> I did highly enjoy when the mother goes missing and then Taffy, the daughter's describing her and she's like, she smells like white, li- white diamonds. Elizabeth Taylor's Elizabeth white Taylor. diamonds. <laughs> I love that. I agree. They did not all land. Yeah. And and, I mean, for me, you know, I think there's I had a I mean, I really thought about this a lot, which is, you know, it's a like there are movies that I don't enjoy or that I feel, uh, you know, are are lackluster that I don't ever think about again. And uh, whether or not we were going to be talking about this today or not, I really spent a lot of time thinking about this movie. I love Zelda. I know Zelda. I've worked with Zelda. She's brilliant. 
Um, it did feel like a first time filmmaker feature kind of it felt like the pacing and the editing mm. like to me there, there was this part of me that felt like really hungry for like just give me the raw footage and I'll get in there with an editor <laughs> by the way I'm not an editor I don't have the patience to be an editor but like get me in there with a really right. great tight <laughs> funny great proven track record of cutting comedy Give me that, and I think we've really got something. It would be a shorter movie. Those mm. montages would be maybe a quarter as long. You move through everything faster. Those references get dropped off so fast, they don't even have time to be anvils because you're on to something else. If somebody gets it, great. If they lose it, who cares? You know, there's a lot there. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I wouldn't look at the script and be like, Diablo, can I talk to you for a second? Like, I'm not <laughs> sure. Like, where is this go going? Is this going anywhere? Oh, it's not going anywhere. Okay, all right, so it's just in there. Like, all of that makes sense when you look at some of those models that we're looking at. Because if you saw Weird Science for the first time, or if you saw Better Off Dead for the first time, like, the point of some of those was like, doesn't matter why the he sees the hamburger come to life. Like, who cares? This is weird. So all of that, you could use that logic but I think it comes down to like you can only like those are cards you can only play if the the quality is there. If you've managed to get that tight, funny editing, if you've managed to have it be crazy, but you find yourself you, you as a viewer are going, you know what? I don't even care. This is great. Who cares? But if it's not there, you do care. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can't, strange, you can't go, you know, the moments that are a disconnect. It's like simultaneous something that I really enjoy and then something that's not quite working. Like there's an entire kind of fight sequence that happens with Lisa and the creature right when he's reanimated and he, she's like, he's chasing her around the house and she goes down the roof and she's screaming and she's whatever. And the neighbors are across the street. It's nighttime. There's no reason. They're sitting on lawn chairs in the middle of a lawn at night. Like it's absurdist, right? And they're like, what's that noise? And they're talking and like, they're staring right at her. And she, and there's something funny about that. Or there's a set piece too in that same moment. Like she's doing something while this woman just sort of runs by with her Walkman on and doesn't pay right. attention. And and there's a lot of really interesting framing and like things that I found really crafty. And those are what I'm falling into like, oh, that would have made me so excited at a festival of someone who's paying attention to the background in every single or or they're at the party and Taffy's telling she's just giving up uh Lisa's <laughs> backstory and she's like, I'm not supposed to tell anybody and then every time you look at the crowd she's telling it to There's more grown. people, yeah. Yeah. And like those are beautiful little touches or Lisa starts tripping and all of a sudden these vines start growing through the house. Like there's a lot of really ambitious things in play, but you're like, it's like, it's just missing some tonal quality because what we're getting with this is the ratcheting up of our lead character. And I'd love to talk about Catherine Newton because I think she fully commits to this. And yes. this is that kind of performance that is so hard because you're like, all right, I'm going to sound and look like an absolute crazy person. And now it's turning it over to you in this bubble of trust that you are going to protect this in the edit and calibrate up. Like she has a sing along to an Ario Speedwagon song. Again, that just she goes gets, on like, forever. It goes on oh, like it's God, the whole yeah. song. so long. But I'll tell you, Janet, you know what it reminded me of? Like not the emotional hit of it, but. In um, No Hard Feelings, that Jennifer Lawrence movie this year, there is a moment in that where the kid plays an entire song on the piano and her emotional response to it. And it's again, it's like it's 
something akin to Oreo Speedwagon. Oh, it's Maneater. It's, and no, it almost brought notes. me to tears. And I was like, he could have played a whole other verse that doesn't exist. And so it's it's the machinations of that moment. Like, it's yeah. some of it's just falling a little short, but I can see what they're going for. Yes. Yeah, I, I'll tell you another, another movie where they do that. That same thing where they sort of repurpose a song that you don't take seriously, but they give it all this emotion. Uh, Elizabeth Moss in that movie, Her Smell, the Alex Ross Perry yes. movie, where she's the self-destructive rock star. And then late in the film, she sits at the piano and sings Brian Adams's Heaven. And it's like really moving. You're like, oh, God, that song actually like has something in it if you perform it right and but yeah in this movie it just like it, it it just feels like it takes forever i'm so glad you said pacing because i think that is the real big problem here and i went to the i i because of the rain apocalypse in southern california i didn't go to the press screening so i bought a ticket for the first show on thursday in a fairly packed house at the grove hmm. in a big theater and you could sense the audience commitment level just sort of like slowly dropping yeah. and and like it just the, the laughs were fewer and far between and there just wasn't that energy of like this is working right. everybody just was sort of shifting around and and so yeah I, I i agree with you i think there is maybe another edit of this or a something that like the, there, there are pieces here that could be fixed yeah but as it is it's mm. i i also want to just say and again i feel like i'm piling on but it, but it's all couched in like, no, there's really something here. Otherwise, it's not worth talking about. Yeah. Right. I feel like I I feel like Cole Sprouse, who plays this guy who's been reanimated. Um, I think it's a that's another example of like, you know, it's really hard to be a clown. Clowning is hard. Mm-hmm. Mime is hard. It is hard. And I have some complicated feelings about Johnny Depp. I guess they're very simple about him as a person. I guess what makes it complicated is that if you are, and it's kind of inevitable that you would think of his performance in say Benny and June or uh, his physicality <laughs> in, 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 uh, what was the name? Night Over Christmas. Nope. Edward not at all. But yeah. in Edward Scissorhands, but even just his comedy as Jack Sparrow, like sure. he, I, you know, it's hard not to think of that. And you're like, Oh, he's, gosh he's really good at that and maybe it's one of those qualities that you don't think about until you see someone who doesn't necessarily have that and then you're like oh hun, oh like you're you're that you're doing everything you're doing everything but it's not landing you're not a clown you I do, you're not i, do I don't blame know, some know. of that on the pacing though too because for sure cole sprouse i was very much expecting to be a lot more rigid. I mean, he's he's rigid, rigor mortis rigid. But yeah. like, I was expecting even more. And he is go. He he was he goes going for it a hundred percent. Similar way. To it's Catherine not his Newton. fault. Yeah, but it. But it's not your fault. Jack. It's not your fault. Yeah, it's both. I, I think it's both. I think it's both. Yeah. I think he was miscast, and no. I also a hundred percent agree that you can't. Ha- you got to be really freaking funny. If you're going to have somebody take that long to cross a room because of the way their body is moving and he mm-hmm. was giving it a thousand percent. And at a certain what, point, you just feel uncomfortable for him because you're like, oh, no, we should have cut away from this. What you want is Vincent D'Onofrio in oh, Men in Black. Absolutely. In the, in the Edgar suit. Yeah. Need water with sugar. I love this absolutely. the second time I've mentioned that scene in like the last Oh, it's brilliant. Months. It's <laughs> brilliant. You really believe real. that guy has a giant bug trapped inside that his human flesh. It's yes. brilliant. It's a great example. And speaking of Edward Scissorhands, I think the other thing about this movie that I was a little 
put off by, and maybe it's because the title led me to expect something else, but I kind of feel like if you're gonna, if you're gonna do a period piece, your choices are either like a fairly, you know, you try to be sort of naturalistic about what houses and clothes and cars looked like, or you go that Edward Scissorhands level where it's like, oh, it's a cul-de-sac and everybody's got their own pastel color. And and this movie can't quite pick a lane there. Like the house that Carla Gugino has is this crazy sort of salmon dollhouse but you know but a full-size house and everything about her everything she wears is this like laura ashley via gem and the holograms nightmare you know well said uh, but but like the rest of the movie i loved her clothes does, does it ever quite <laughs> go that far with it and i so i just i sort of i i don't know if maybe you pitch everything at that level or you even have to bring her back a little but i don't know I, it, to me it felt like the movie couldn't decide how wacky they wanted their yeah. look of the 80s to be and did they well, just pick up the dad from stranger things and drop him yeah. in the exact role right in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, at the I was like i like that and then I was like, wait, do I? Do I? Well, that dad, <laughs> it is the dad from Stranger Things, and he is so believable as the 80s TV yes. movie mm. dad that when, I remember when he showed up at Stranger Things, I was like, he's time traveled for yeah. sure. And then he time traveled <laughs> again here. And like, of course, his name is Dale. What else are you going to yeah. call that guy? Maybe yep. Ted. Um, Carla Gugino is fantastic in everything and definitely in this. Her character has not met a um, like a shoulder puff or a peplum. She <laughs> is going to say no to. But yeah, I think it fits the same thing. Like the trajectory of the fashion and who it pays attention to. Like Lisa wears increasingly like crazy things. And it's grounded enough that they keep giving us a reason from where she's got this clothes. Yeah. Like from, oh, Taffy's like, oh, that was my junior miss, whatever, blah, blah. But no one else is wearing those. And no one is like, girl, why are you crazy and covered in blood now all the time? So like, <laughs> it's also, the and the last thing I'll say, because I think it's probably time to vote soon, is... With the pacing, with everything else, because there's this escalation of violence that the only sort of information you're given that that might be coming is you get this uh, like elaborate backstory that Lisa watched her mother get axe murdered. And then guess what? Don't worry. That person never shows up again. I was oh, like, yeah, no, drop. I thought it was going to be Carla. Like, I thought it was going to be Carla. I was like, this is going <laughs> to come would make sense. Circle. Or the axe is going to be tied to a dead body that we see. Yeah. I don't even know. But I was like, is this really just to plant that this girl has been on like the, the edge of psychosis the whole time? Yeah. Because it's not the smoothest downhill for her. She's just all of a sudden like, oh, I kill people now. Yeah, Don't worry about it. That development is uh, doesn't, yeah, is another thing that you, it, it needs more time or needs a different edit or something. Yeah, but yeah I, I thought, I really thought, I was like, oh, they're setting Carla up to be, she's because she's sort of this angel of death nurse, right? I mean, she's, mm. she's, the, she's a narcissist. She's a nurse. She talks about how hard her life is and how all she does is help other people. In my mind, I was like, oh, okay. So she puts her eyes on the sky and yeah, she takes care of the competition. Like how intuitive and intuitive like, people do. And also it justifies her death a lot more. If you yeah. find out that she herself was a killer, then you're yeah. really like, cool, that's fine. But yeah, I also just killing a bunch of people. Yeah. yeah, and also he's he's just seems there's he's not a Frankenstein's monster. He's not. There's no pathos. There's no you know he just got zapped by lightning and came to find her because she left him sweet notes. But I don't I don't understand. I don't see where he suddenly is just like killing people. Like oh, yeah. I want to see some reason that he, you know. 
Yeah. Well, you know, he wanted a hand. What are you going to do? I've never known. He did want a hand. hand. You're right. Yeah, fair. I um, hand right. corrected. Let's let's vote it on up. You can use your hands or not. How we do it here is we say screen it, which is the very highest. Stream it right in the middle. You'd recommend it, but no rush. Or skip it, which is self-explanatory. Alonzo, do you want to show us how it's done? Oh, sure. And I hate to be that guy, but I'm a skip it. I really, I, I do think there are, you know, to, 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 to extend the Frankenstein metaphor, there are some good pieces here, but they don't fit together. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot that doesn't work here. And I was really just kind of disappointed. I, I think my new gauge for Diablo Cody is if it's a movie that stars Charlize Theron or could star Charlize Theron, I'm in. Uh, and if it's tinged with horror, I'm out. Fair. Fair. All right, Janet. I can't. I can't. It, I have thought about this movie so much. I can't say skip it. I can't say skip I certainly don't think you need to go see it. <laughs> but And definitely not in more than one theater in a day. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, listen, I have so many questions for you about where you guys ended up. It's a whole thing. <laughs> but uh, because it was very surreal to then go to the man's Chinese theater and amidst like the Super Bowl happening. And it was just a real scene and going and being like, yes, I know it's 45 minutes into the movie. Believe me, I still want tickets. Um, so it was a very big adventure on that. But I it's one of those movies that I if you're interested, if look, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a real good chance you're very interested in making movies. Whether that means the making mm. of movies or you yourself making movies, this to me is a great example of something that it's it has made my brain want to be better at being a creator myself. It has made me think about what I liked and how I would do it differently. And it's kept my mind very busy in that way. So I think if you're the kind of person that is attracted to those types of movies that we've been talking about, the, the movie paying homage to, if you're just a person who's interested in like, what does make a good movie good? Um, I think this is a not a waste of your time. Do you know what I mean? Where are, there are plenty of movies I'm like, don't even bother. You're yeah. not going to learn anything. It's not worth it. You know, so I'm going to stream it. Godar said the best way to review a movie is to make another movie. There you go. <laughs> nice. There you go. Um, I'm between the two of you. I would ve I veer towards stream it. Um, I wasn't like overly passionate. However, it was enjoyable enough. I wasn't dreading driving across town to see the rest of it at all. There were a lot of things that I was like, ooh, I really like this moment. I really like this. The overall shaping and pacing and tone and all of this we've talked about. But um, I feel like for streaming... Yeah, put this on, fold your laundry, do your nails, chat with your friend while you're watching it. But I think there's some fun things in here. And then Great soundtrack. Add, Sorry. Then, great yes, soundtrack great for soundtrack. him to say. Good, great soundtrack. Good needle drops. Did we mention the Ario Speedwagon? <laughs> um, there you go. All right. So that's all for that. And we're going to be right back after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun. Speedwagon. Hello, sleepyheads. Sleeping with Celebrities is your podcast pillow pal. We talk to remarkable people about unremarkable topics, all to help you slow down your brain and drift off to sleep. For instance, we have the remarkable Neil Gaiman. I'd always had a vague interest in live culture, food preparation. Sleeping with Celebrities, hosted by me, John Moe, on MaximumFun.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Night-night. 
Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Drea Clark, and in the studio with me are... Janet Varney. Alonzo Duralde. Today's movie wasn't exactly a retelling of Frankenstein's story, but it certainly has some of the elements. One imagines an elevator pitch that went something like Frankenstein plus 1980s weirdo teen comedy, a la Better Off Dead or Weird Science. So today what we're playing now is we're going to pitch a movie using that following formula. Universal monster plus cinema decade plus genre. The world is your oyster, but you have to follow those rules. Bonus points if you come up with a fun title. Spoiler, I did not, but I depend on Alonzo for my fun title. <laughs> That's how I know I'm a born collaborator. Who would like to start? I mean, you know I did research. Well, uh, so <laughs> I, I always feel like that the, the universal monster who always gets short shrift is the invisible man because he's the least fun to make a model of. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a fun character and there's a lot to do with it. And I think as a metaphor, he's very, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities there of someone who isn't there or you can see through or who you can feel his presence. Yeah, however you want to do that. And so then I was thinking about like, how so much of contemporary financial chicanery relies upon these sort of holding companies that aren't really anything, you know, like there's that not very good Steven Soderbergh movie where Meryl Streep spends most of the movie trying to track down who is the actual insurance company that is supposed to be paying her for her husband's death, but isn't because it's just a bunch of shell companies in the Cayman Islands or whatever. So I'm thinking something kind of Wall Street-ish where the invisible man is also like a guy who has a company that puts ads on Instagram for products that look really good, but then when you order them, they either never show up or they're, they look, they're, they're shit. Um, so, but I, I don't have a title for this one, but it's like, uh, you know, something, something like do not reply. I don't know. <laughs> do not. Okay. Okay. Love I get it. it. So it ties back into the, into the internet of it. Yeah. Nice. Um, uh, Janet. Okay. So I, I mean, I went a little on the nose with the Universal Monsters. I did not go for a lesser loved, and I feel a little bit guilty about it. But nah. I want you to th- just think about uh, the, the roaring 20s, maybe a beautiful lakeshore house, maybe a person who's obsessed with a single woman trying so hard to pull her into a snare um, with, you know intellect and money parties and then think about how dracula loves to be obsessed with women and suck their blood jay gatsby is essentially a vampire so i feel like if we take the great gatsby and combine it and make jay gatsby dracula then we have the great draxby so <laughs> I like it. Or that the is my title. Gatsby, maybe. <laughs> also good. Also good. So I and and you know what? That's one of those things where like I kind of went backwards. But but it it happened so fast that I was like, actually, that's you could see that. Like you could definitely see a Great Gatsby version with a vampire 
Like, because it is still sumptuous and, you know what I mean? It's still, like, obsessed with the wrong things and emotionally yeah. vacant and all that stuff. And so now I'm kind of keen on it and I want someone to make it. Please, Producer someone make the Marissa great Producer just Draxby. gave us The Great Batsby, which I, The you know, Great Batsby! Hat, hats right off, there. This movie it's is right making there. itself. Oh, uh, what color is the light on his dock? It still has to be green. <laughs> Definitely can be green. green. Green is also a bright, uh, a glowing green is a great horror trope as well. Yeah. True, glowing true, green true. light. We're set on that you have to keep the same final line so we beat on boats against the current born back born ceaselessly, ceaselessly into the into past, the past. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. fifth the, yeah. he goes the way are, into the past the boats are coffins he goes <laughs> the way into the past and the boats are <laughs> oh coffins see it's right oh my god itself. i love it you've done it solid solid work and a real register alley- that with the writer's guild man a real alley <laughs> with marissa okay mine is a lesser known we'll relate it's a lesser known title and character, but it's all interconnected in that uh, it's inspired by Dracula's daughter, oh. the 1936 Ooh. film. The lesbian Universal. one. <laughs> exactly. The lesbian one. Cool. And, uh, and so it's, it's right there. The Dracula's daughter is the main character. He ostensibly dies. Not Igor. What's his? What's his uh, helper? Renfield. Renfield. Renfield's dad. Like they're all this, and basically, she's like, "Oh, the only way I get out of this world and stop having these urges and stop whatever is if I kill my father, Dracula." And so he's dead, and then she fully like does a pyre, burns him up, or whatever. And then, of course, it all ends up because she's then still she thinks he's going to be like mortal and living normal life. Of course, that's not what happens. She instead starts to go nuts. It. There's a psychiatrist. She kidnaps someone named Janet. She takes her to Transylvania. It's a whole thing. So, and that you know, so you have your you have your kind of the closest thing they had to sort of lesbianic uh, illusions, and with the psychiatrist and with the whatever, I'm like, oh, well, this wants to be a 1990s erotic thriller so bad. Right. right. Like you have the it's set up sort of like a murder. And maybe it's that she does the whole thing to like double kill Dracula. But it then just looks like a normal death, like a normal murder. And they're trying to find her. And then it's the like, oh, we're we're listening to her. And maybe she did it. And maybe she didn't. And she's trying to seduce this woman. And it's all dark. And like that, like, ooh, you know, we find like the next Sharon Stone. And we have like <laughs> this sort of basic instinct body of evidence. That's my... Time and genres. 90s erotic thriller. I get the B-52s to re-record song for a future generation. Yes. All of this. (laughs) Great. And so then I was like trying to think of a name. And then I was like, well, some like body. So I was like, the closest I got was like, bite your tongue. Because like there's the biting Mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. And then she's with a psychiatrist and trying not to say too much. I think that's great. Don't sell yourself short. That's a great title. I thought thought Alonzo could maybe one up me. But maybe Marissa can. As I say, the problem is there's so many vampire movies out there that all the good titles have been taken at this point. Yes. Except for The Great Batsby. Except for The Great great Batsby. Batsby. (laughs) Something's Kiss. Yeah. Yeah, Vampire's Kiss is already a movie. The Bite is already a movie. Once Bitten. Vampire's Kiss. Once Once Bitten. bitten. Oh, solid. Um, All of these amazing slash ridiculous, so we know that they're good. Um, I'm just psyched that we got to mention both Better Off Dead and Weird Science. Two all-time bangers. I'll I'll tell you, if, if, if nothing else, I do appreciate the idea of Lisa Frankenstein trying to be a female gaze weird science because... Mm. almost any 80s movie now I 
Mm. It's a thing like how long until I flinch when I think about what's it about and what's in it and what they say. And, you know, because there's so many of them that are so insanely sexist slash misogynist slash homophobic slash racist um, that, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, fine. Let's let's get back into that sandbox, but do it with, you know, the let's let the women and the queer people and the, the BIPOC people tell those stories and let's see how it comes out this time. That sure. is fair. Let them be the killers. Yeah. Let them be the inventing killers. <laughs> By the way, if we haven't mentioned yet, she brings body parts back to life through a malfunctioning suntan bed. And if that yes. doesn't know its genre and time, I don't know what to <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. All right. We did it. Woo. Now we are here in the land of staff picks. We're all going to offer up something that we recommend for the listeners to check out. It can be any movie at all through time and space. It just can't be one of the ones we just pitched because, alas, <laughs> they have not been made yet. Who would like to go first? Well, I always like to gripe about the Academy Awards, but I will say that they uh, they get it right with some frequency. And one of the nominees this year for Best International Film is the latest from Vim Vendors. It is Perfect Days, Japan's entry. Um, it is an absolutely gorgeous and haunting and meditative film, um, very much influenced by the films of Ozu, who uh, Vendors has really, you know, declared himself a fan of for a very long time. He's made documentaries about uh, about him and about the people who've been in his films and, and all of that stuff. Um, and so this is uh, uh, the story of a, of a, of a janitor played by uh, the great Koji Akusho, who won Best Actor at Cannes, whose job is to go around cleaning Tokyo's public toilets. And Tokyo's public toilets are gorgeous. Um, like, Vendors was, was, was uh, you know, inspired to make this movie because of them. Like, they're amazingly beautiful, like, architecturally and just as as public spaces, they're gorgeous. And there's all these different kinds of them. And um, so, you know, he, he he leads a very, you know, he, he, he does what he does and he likes doing it. And, and you know, he, he has hobbies on the side. He reads. He likes to take photographs. He tends to his plants. And it is this very kind of quiet film about the joy and fulfillment of work that has meaning to you or finding a way to put meaning into that work. And uh, I like to think that it is subtly a movie about somebody who has a full-time job and can afford to have an apartment and eat and have little hobbies on the side, um, which is for all the people who are like, nobody wants to work anymore. It's like, no. Nobody wants to be exploited anymore. But if, if people people will go out and clean toilets if you pay them enough to live on. And, you know, and if the toilets are as attractive as these, who can blame him? Anyway, Perfect Days, beautiful film. Go see it. If you tuned in today wondering, worrying, nay, Alonzo was not going to start gushing about beautiful toilets. <laughs> if we got the episode for you, you are welcome. Tell me, see the movie and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Tell me that doesn't stay with you. Oh, my gosh. Janet. Well, I think I might have done this the last time I was on your show. But, uh, you know, if something doesn't entirely succeed for me, I find myself thinking like, well, what would I tell someone to see if they were looking for a vibe that, you know, was a successful version? Now, this isn't exactly that. It's not set in the 80s or anything like that. But in terms of extremely funny, very confident. Um, I believe it is a first feature direct, directorial debut of a funny, scary movie. Um, I would recommend the 2014 uh, New Zealand horror comedy Housebound. It's so funny. It's so good. Again, very confident, um, tight, 
just all of the stuff that we sort of maybe struggled with a little bit in this one. Again, cannot say enough about Zelda's talent. She's she's going places. Not worried about her. But this is an example of a, a very funny, very specific genre satisfying movie that to me does everything right. This looks fantastic. I've never even heard of it. Oh, it's great. And it's on all Tubi. Right. On, it's on an Alonzo-approved <laughs> network, so I, I'm allowed to watch it. He gets a cut of those, you know? Every I, single movie on I, TV, I, I wish the action that those <laughs> cats are doing. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going in a totally different direction, um, but it is a title I'm excited about. It is being released uh, here on Valentine's Day, so when this episode comes out. Um, it is directed by my friend Trish C., And it's called Players. It's a rom-com that'll be popping up on Netflix if you want to check it out. I love Trisha's work. She's fantastic. She started, uh, you would know her because she co-directed and choreographed the OK Go videos. Oh, wow. Treadmill and all of those things. Yeah, very famous. And Pitch Perfect. I really like she had a film called Sitting in Bars with Cake last year that came out on Amazon Mm. that I also recommend. Players is a rom-com with uh, Gina Rodriguez and Damon Wayan Jr. and Tom Ellis. And, you know, you have it's it's she the Gina Rodriguez plays the sports writer. She's hooking up, she's meeting people. She meets the hot guy. Then she can have a relationship. It's great. It's delightful. Check it out. Come on, Trissy, gotta represent. Ooh, love it. All right, we did it. We sure did it. <laughs> you know what? One of the reasons we did it is because Janet Vardy was here. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having what, me. What do you have going on that our listeners should check out? Uh, well, you can always listen to the JV Club. Don't be intimidated by the uh, just incredible uh, back catalog of over well over 530 episodes through wow. the years. Um, there's a lot of conversations about people and their awkward teenage years. Um, that is happening. Always excited to be a part of any other Max Fun uh, show that I love and listen to um, like this one. So this it feels great to be uh, hanging out with you guys before we jump into Max Fun and and support everybody who's making shows and being independent and part of a co-op. So uh, you can check that out. Yay. Nice. You can start with, I did an episode of the JV Club with Janet Varney and it was a delight because it's always nice to have an excuse to talk to Ms. Janet Varney. I just Thank will you. never get tired of hearing about people's teenage years, ever. <laughs> I never have, never will. And bless you for it. <laughs> um, I didn't even tell you about my love of axes. So, alas. <laughs> um, Alonzo, a Quit treat selling. as ever. Always a pleasure, ma'am. everybody could appreciate your beautiful hair, big smile, and your amazing sweater that you have on today. Thank you. Um, If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, send us an email at MaximumFilm at MaximumFun.org or find us on any of our social media channels. All those links will be in the show notes. Next week, we are going to be talking about Madam Web. And if I'm seeing Madam Web, all the best of you better see it too so you know what I'm talking about damn it so check that out join us our producer is marissa flaxbart our senior producer is laura swisher and this here is a production of maximum fun bye bye maximum fun a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported Directly by you.